Today we're looking at a topic, does God have a plan for your life? And I expanded it a little bit uh, to just affirm that God has a plan, not only for your life, certainly he has a plan for your life, but he has a plan for the world. And you, I hope you know you are part of the world. I chose to change the topic a little bit, uh, does God have a plan for your life? Because sometimes we are so individualistic, we only look at our own interests. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. They are for your good and for your welfare. You behave like some boys who were so rich that they bought some cars and the cars were fantastic. They took it to go and have fun at some beach. And when they were driving there, they passed some corner corner in some environment and they saw that the people there were so poor. When they got to the place where they were having fun, they couldn't really have fun. Why? They were thinking, wow. When we are coming back and these poor people decide to block the road and say, we won't let you drive your four by four through this place. Because when we are passing, the speed with which you are going, you blew, you blew smoke and dust into our nostrils. What are we going to do? They got scared. And they learned a lesson. That if you want to be the only rich man in your community, it is not a good idea at all. But God has decided to bless all of us. We can share in the prosperity. We can share in the blessing. So it is not a good idea as far as I'm concerned for Christians to be saying, minus me, minus me. The world is suffering, minus me, minus me. Minus you alone shows how selfish you are. But let God, who has blessings for everybody, bless all of us. And then we can share the joy of knowing the Lord. So, does God have a plan for the world? Certainly. And does he have a a plan for you, no doubt, because you are part of the world. There are 8 billion or so people in the world, and God wants all of them to fit into his plan. Lord, we bless your word into our hearts, that the sharing will enable us to focus on you, but above all, teach us what it is like to live for you. This and every day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We as a church decided to focus on evangelism and mission this quarter. And in focusing on that, it's part of our mission to spread the word to everywhere that people would know and become faithful disciples of Christ. Sometimes some communities get left out. People who think they have enough, who are intellectuals, who are rich, who are... I mean, there are some people who are not born again, but they are happy in their non-born again state because nobody has really told them or even challenged them sometimes we ourselves feel intimidated we don't even go to them if you say jesus saves they will ask you which bank and then you get confused if you say you go to church and the man shows you the the kind of bugatti he's driving say have you seen my car you say what is that says it's called bugatti you say buka what he means you don't you, you don't they make you feel so bad but it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a message for them. It is you, the child of God, who is unable to meet them at their point of need. Or those of us that God has equipped to reach out to them, we don't even know how to reach out to them and what to say to reach out to them. This passage, a classic passage from verses 22 to 34, shows how Paul was used by God to minister to some intellectuals who we will see very soon. And how Christianity gained root in the world. Paul had told us in Corinthians that, look, 
I have become all things to all people that I may by all means win some to Christ. Hallelujah. He has become something so that we win some to Christ because that has become his reason for existing. And sometimes the best way to reach out to people is to know their culture, to know their language, to know what they believe, to know what they are afraid of. Then you can move them from what they know to what they don't know. Or move them to from where they are to where they ought to be. And it should be one of those things that you and I should learn as disciples of Christ. Paul had gone to Athens. Let's just assume that Athens was the capital of Greece, just like Accra is the capital of Ghana. And in Athens, there was a place called the Areopagus or Mars Hill. Say what? Areopagus or what? Mars Hill. And all they do there is what they do in the University of Ghana, Legon. But that was the equivalent of the Legon. They just go there. What do they go and do in Legon? They go and study. There's a place called the Legon. There's a place called Great Hall. And when they go, they argue till hair finishes on their head, like some of them who are here. I mean, they argue, they talk, they write big, big, big books. They are professors. They ask you questions. And sometimes when you go first year, they just confuse you. Because they have just got so many facts. And the Greeks were blessed with intellectuals like Socrates, like Plato. They studied their philosophies. And so they argue about everything. And they love listening to people who argue. And Paul went there to argue with them. Before Paul could go there, he did something very interesting. He had walked in the town. He saw a number of idols. In walking through the town, he saw an altar to the unknown God. He had read their literature. He had read their poets. You know, some of them said, in him we live and move and have our being. He, he, he knew it. He could speak their language. He was, he, he knew a lot of things. So when they gave him the opportunity to talk, Paul decided to tell them that God's plan is for all things, including they, the Athenians, those he met. He was ready to say a few things to them. So we we'll see seven of them quickly and we we'll see what their response was. Paul met them and they listened to him because that was their habit. Some people's habit is to listen to arguments. Uh, you hear them on television, you see them on radio, they are always arguing about all kinds of things. And what was the first point that Paul told them? God is sought by man, or God was sought by man. He said, everybody is religious. What did he mean by that? In our languages, particularly in Akkadia, nobody teaches anybody, any child, about God. Why? Because we all have an idea of who God is. In big theological English, we call it general revelation. That God has revealed himself. But this general revelation manifests itself in a very strange way. Some can see God or they feel there's a God and this God is too holy. We cannot get near to him. So they have an idol. Something, oh, God saved us sometime ago through a cow. So they worship the cow. Oh, he saved us through the moon. So they worship the moon, through the sun, through the river, through the deities. So they worship God in all kinds of ways. And whatever they cannot explain, they soak it in superstition. So people are just trying to find meaning in this life. That's what Paul is saying. God was sought by man. And you are also seeking God. I know you are seeking God. 
all these ideas about what life is about, your argument is about knowing God and being sure that you're following his plan. And when you are not sure, you just say something to yourself that makes you happy. How do I know? Paul said, number two, point number two. God was not hiding. God was not unknown. Because you people decide to know God and to see him everywhere, you are so careful that you have just erected one more altar to the unknown God. Because the Greeks, they have Zeus, they have a God called Zeus, they have a, a God called Athena, they have all kinds of gods that they worship. And just in case there's a God that they don't know who can help them. You see, it's like some people go for juju. They go for juju from the Volta region. They go to Benin to get some. They go to the north to get some. Some jujus are supposed to help them on Monday. Some on Tuesday. Some on Wednesday. Some to make them talk to women. Some to make them talk to their bosses. So they have juju for everything. So finally, you have juju for all jujus. That's what they were doing. <laughs> they have gods everywhere. And they even have a temple for the unknown god. Why? Unlike what Christ has done for us, the Greeks, the ancient time, they do not worship in temples like this. The temples are built for the gods. And the worshippers worship outside. I think that's what sometimes uh, people who sit outside, they do. but that, that's not our people. They just enjoy the fresh air. They worship outside. So they can even build for an unknown, unknown God. Paul, uh, Paul said, no, 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 no. It means you are really seeking. It is not good to make fun of people's beliefs. No, because they are trying to get something. If you have got it, try and help them to see your point of view. So I can see that you are so religious. This unknown God that you worship, I have come with all humility to share with you. Because the man was convinced that he has got an answer. Because once he was blind, and now he can see. So he said, let me tell you about this God. This God that you are looking for, the unknown God. I know him. He is the creator. So what? He created what? He created us and everything in us. So he decides to go through five things to show to them how and what makes God the creator. Interesting points that you ought to know to arm yourself as you meet somebody and talk to him about God. God is the creator. The Lord, he's the God who made heaven and earth. Everything was made by this God. You say, wow. This God? Yeah. This God who I'm saying is the creator, he is everywhere. You can't hide him. You can't hide from him. He knows you. He sees you. He's everywhere. And they are wondering, wow. There are some people who go to some places, they think God is not there. When it's dark, God is not there. When they are stealing, God is not there. They remind me of the old story of the child who went to the mother. The mother was going to steal cassava. And the mother looked sideways and backwards and asked the child to stay there. When you see somebody coming, cry, Mommy, all about. So she approached the cassava. And the, the son asked him, Mommy, so what were you doing? So, you know, you are hungry. I just wanted to get food for you. That's why I was looking left and right. And I told you, if somebody is coming, just let me know so that I stop. So, mommy, you forgot to look up. Because God, the child's understanding, God is up. But that is not true. God is everywhere. Whether it is north, south, east, west, he's everywhere. 
including the app, that way the child understood it. God is present everywhere. Can you imagine those who collect bribes, who do things in secret, hearing that God is everywhere? If you didn't know, let me let you know today, God is everywhere. Hallelujah. He sees the right things. He sees the wrong things. And one day, he will show you and I that he has seen everything. Number three, he is the creator. He's not created. Interestingly, the Bible does not spend time or energy or space to try and prove to us who created God. There are some people when you meet them, say, who created, if there's a God, who created him? I don't know. I don't know. Let me ask you one of those old, old questions that Billy Graham asked somebody. He said, oh, I want to know who created God. They said, you, can you explain to me how a black cow eating green grass with red meat produces white milk before you drink it? Do you know? He said, no, I don't know. He said, what? If you don't know how a cow produces milk, then how do you want to explain and know who God is before you worship him? The Bible just says, in the beginning, God, take it or leave it. So, this God was not created by anybody. D, he is self-sufficient. He doesn't need your food. He doesn't need any messengers. He doesn't need anybody to remind him of anything because he never forgets anything. Hallelujah. Who are the God? And the E, he's the giver of life and breath to all things. All things. He's the giver of life. To all things, all human beings. When he says it's time to go, it's time to go. When you are Mugabe, he says it's time to go, it's time to go. When you are Methuselah, it's time to go, it's time to go. When you are a baby, it's time to go, you go. Even if you are a culture, he says it's time to go, you go. Earthquake comes, tsunami comes, declares you, you are gone. Nobody can give bribe to God and say, postpone my coming to you. They all go at the time he has appointed to them. We must love God. And fear him and respect him. Hallelujah. This is the God that Paul was championing and introducing to these intellectuals. And this is the God that you serve. This is the God who you must be willing and bold enough to declare. Because if this God is for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Then number four, he said, this God, I want you to know, he guides the history of all men and all nations. Does God have a plan for you? Yes. He has a plan not only for you, but he has a plan for even nations. All men come from one source. There are differences that we see in human beings. But the bulk or the major part of the differences we see are only external. They are external. I remember watching a film some long time ago. They wanted to find out where the human beings come from. And this experiment cost a lot of money. And they did all kinds of things, testing people, their blood, their genes, and blah, 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 all kinds of things. And then they concluded by saying, it looks as if all human beings came from one parent. And I said, oh, really? Is that all? <laughs> is that all? Of course, this is a scientific one. So they will not say the human being, uh, one man, one woman. They will not say it's called Adam and Eve. I said, it looks like it came from one man and one woman. Why? Because in spite of our color differences, eh, an Indian can marry a Ghanaian and they can give birth. All things being equal. When we are embarrassed, whatever culture it is, you can tell that somebody is embarrassed. When we are telling lies, 
our facial, a lot of things that we do, we do them as common humanity. Showing that we are all from one source. Sin and environment affects us. But by and large, we all came from one source. And that's what Paul was saying. We are from one source. That all men are appointed a time to live and are given their bounds. All men and people have their boundary. He says the boundary. It is no accident that I am a Ghanaian. It's no accident that you are a Chinese or an Indian. God decided to place you where he wanted to place you. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Wherever he places you, that is the place he has chosen for you. Make the best out of it. Hallelujah. I was preaching in Alergu last week and I was so happy that this I, part of the reason why they invited me, these pastors who are there, most of them are my friends. And I went there some long time ago and I said, I don't know what the missionaries saw before they went there. The place is so far from Accra. It's still far. And when we we're going, the road was so red. By the time you get there, you get all this uh, dye in the head. This day is not too difficult because if I do this, there isn't much there anyway. So I got there. And all of a sudden, they created some 16, I mean, created more regions. And suddenly, Nalerugu has become a regional capital. So when they invited me, I wanted to go there and see the regional capital. It is the only capital that did not have a district. It didn't have, it didn't, it became, it didn't become a municipality or metropolis. Bam! One day from a town to regional. I said, wow, let me come and see this place. So I saw it. I saw the land that has been cleared for the regional minister. Last Sunday, the regional minister was in church. His deputy was there. The minister of local government was there. I was, if I had a little time with the regional minister and his assistant, I would have asked him, please, can you show me your office? Uh, because I saw that the land is now being cleared for them, for the office to be built. I would have asked him questions, but I think, but what I'm saying is this. If government or politicians or through a referendum, your destiny can change, your location can change one day from a nothing to regional capital, God can change things for you overnight. <laughs> Hallelujah. What, what human beings can do, God can do even more. Hello. God can do it. He created all things. He has an appointed time. And when we do our part, God can do what no one can do for you. Believe in this God. Love him and serve him. Say all men are appointed at the time to live and they give their bonds. Then number five, Paul said God has a great purpose for creating human beings. His great purpose for creating you is not to just to come to this world and dance and clap and sing and go. It's not to acquire wealth and houses and money and even 700 wives and 300 concubines like Solomon. No. He created you for a purpose. And that purpose is what Christ himself showed us. That he has a mission. I must do the works of him who sent me. Night comes when no one, no one, no one, no one can work. So he came and they asked him, what did you come for? The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So the first reason we are saved. God in Romans 8.29 tells us the reason why he has chosen you. If you are his child is that you must be conformed to the image of his son Jesus Christ. To be like his son. Like brother or like father. Like son. And then you must do what God has equipped you to do. He has given each and every one of us a gift to use. So we are to seek him and to know him. Because when God can be found, he's not far. 
Anybody can find God. God is more willing for us to know him than you are willing to know him. God is not far. If you look for him, he will reveal himself to you. Hallelujah. And then man, a human being, it is our duty. It is a duty we have. It is our responsibility to seek to know God. I am amazed about the things that we spend time and energy on. Look, there are people who spend, sitting here, who spend a lot of time on social media. Two hours, three hours. It's not bad. Is it bad? Except those people, they don't even have 10 to 15 minutes to spend on their Bible or to pray. They don't. There are people who spend a lot of money on their homes or their houses. Not bad. But those same people, they do not spend anything on the house of God or the poor and the needy among them. No. They read a lot of big, big, big books, accounting books, law books, medical books, dentistry books. Or they spend time on what is important to them. But how much do they spend on knowing God? God can be known. If you come to church, oh, I love it when I went to church there. I, I was enjoying myself. I sent the video. Some people were laughing at me that I was dancing. I said, I had to dance. Because here was my people. They, they, I hear they farm, then they go home. They go and eat and bath, and they come to ch church about 7.30, then service begins. So I was sitting down there, and they said, we'll sing a song before the preacher comes. I look at the time, it's already 8.30. I said, okay, fine. It's not a half night, it's not an all night. Uh, 8.30, okay. So the first one sang three songs. said, another group is going to sing. Hey, by the time they finish singing, it's 9 p.m. I stand, and I thought they would be sleeping like we do in Accra. People were just wide awake. And I said, are you, by 10 o'clock, are you awake? Say yes. Can I go? I said, go on. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said, we just want to hear the word of God. Well, our context may be different. But it is our responsibility to seek God. And sometimes seeking God means making time to seek him, to know him. Some of you who come to church, but shameful, no. Bible study, no. Auxiliary, no. Nothing. It is what is convenient that you do. Any wonder. You can be in church for 10, 20, 40 years, but you are still a, a baby Christian. All you know is that you come to church, you are on the bus going to heaven. But in terms of memory verse, in terms of devotion, in terms of soul winning, what do you have to show? And so, Paul comes now to point number six. Say, look, if what I'm saying is true of you, you do intellectuals. If what anything I've said today has touched you, Calvarius, or my listening friends, God demands repentance. Repentance is hearing God speak to you and agreeing with God that what he's saying is true. That you are not doing the right thing and then you change your mind. You change your mind. Changing your mind means that you are on a wrong car or in a wrong vehicle. You sit in a car and you say you are going to Accra. And after a while, you get to Pokwasi and the car is going towards the toll gate. And the man said, where am I going? He said, I said, I'm going to Accra. I said, no. Where you are, of course, the world is round. So if you go around, uh, you'll come back. But if it's the Pokwasi that you want, you are. If it's the Accra. I mean, there are so many in Kran, in Kran. Or, but if it's the Accra, the castle, those places that you want, then come back. Then you get down, 
and take another vehicle and come back. Beloved, that is what repentance means. Changing your mind and going back to do the right thing. Because of man's sins, what are we to do? God is looking for you. You are to change your mind about those things that we do that do not please God. The lies, the gossip, particularly the idolatry. What is idolatry? It is not only a matter of having an idol in your house. Some do. Some have physical idols in their homes. Some have idols. I, I guarantee you may tell somebody, no, I don't worship Kukufri. I don't worship Tigari. I don't worship this. But you may worship your books. Worship your husband. Worship your father. Worship your name. Worship your tribe. Worship your school. Worship your clan. You don't see anything. In fact, in Ghana, you actually may worship your party. Whatever the party says is right. The other party is wrong. How can you live like that? There are people who are willing to die for those things. There are some people whose idol is soccer. Their club, Chelsea, and Man U. You see them, they are fuming, they are panting. Well, as if when they get the money, they give you some. <laughs> you see them fuming about all of those things. But you can be there, people can be insulting God, insulting Christ. In fact, they can be insulting your church, insult your pastor, and you will add to it. No, but you will not do that to certain things about your party. You won't do it. May God have mercy on us. God demands repentance now, now. Why? Because the days of ignorance God has overlooked. Paul was telling them this because he said, look, if you didn't know, now I've come and I've told you. And now I've come and I'm telling you. And if you want to know, the spirit of the living God will be here to reveal more to you. So you cannot say, I am ignorant. You know where to find knowledge and how to find knowledge. And God can help you. So, he said, okay, I hear what you are saying. Then the last one, he drops another big one on them. God has appointed a day to judge the world. I'm sure the, the intellectuals there say, what? There's a God who has appointed a day to judge this world. God, they believed that when somebody is dead, He's dead. Nothing else. Let's make merry. Let's die. For tomorrow, we are gone. The flesh is nothing. It's only a container. When we die, we throw it away. That's all. Who has ever been there to come and tell us? So he says, look, my friend, there's judgment by the righteous God. He rewards you. He comes to give you a reward for the things you have done in your body whether they are good or bad. And that judge is Jesus Christ. You say, what? You mean, we, we are not talking about our big men. You are not talking about Plato. You are not talking about Thucydides. You are not talking about Herodotus. You are, not, you are talking about who? Jesus. He asked Paul, how do you know? He said, I know. I know. Because I am a living testimony. I persecuted this man. When he was alive, I didn't have anything to do with him. And I heard that he had died. And then some foolish people were worshipping him. So I decided, these foolish people, they are confusing the world. Let me just deal with them. And I was dealing with them. Until one day, I myself, I was arrested by the dead man. When the sun shone brightly. And I heard him say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, oh, well, who are you? He said, you, you suffer for me. They said, what? I'll suffer for who? 
Suddenly, I became blind. And I went somewhere. They were carrying me. Suddenly, I couldn't see anything. And they went and put me in some room somewhere. Then I was there for three days. I wasn't eating. I wasn't drinking anything. And I was just wondering, what happened to me? What happened to me? Ah, when I'm a guy, I'm a guy, we see I'm a guy who, so, so what, what has, what at all has happened to me? Then I was there. They said, Paul, somebody is looking for you. And somebody came and I could hear the person's voice. Hey, brother, brother, so, uh, uh, I'm happy to introduce myself to you. My name is Ananias. Anna what? Ananias. Yeah, what can I do for you? That Jesus has sent me that I should pray for you and you will, you will, you, you will see. He said, what? He said, okay. Well, when the sea may crop, the fish don't give, eh? Dead goat fears no knife. If the man lays hands on me and I can see, it's fine. If I cannot see, what is wrong? So the man lays his hand on him. In the name of Jesus, see. So, hey! The scales drop off. Say, what? You mean this man is not dead? He's still alive? Hallelujah. Paul said, what? I've never seen it. He says, it is the surety is the that Jesus rose again and he lives. And he has done signs and wonders through me. He's the one who has enabled me to come here to preach the word to you. And I know his Holy Spirit is convicting you. Hallelujah. Friends, may God give you that boldness. May he give you the words to do what he has called you to do. Well, when you preach like that, you leave the results to God. Evangelism is defined as preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to Jesus. So what are the responses? Four responses. Which we still see today. Some mocked. Oh. Why? Earlier on somebody mocked Paul. He said, Paul, too much learning has made you mad. So I'm sure some of them are saying, ah, you just went to read some of our poems and you are coming to quote to us. Look at this man. He, look, if he did philosophy, it's just first year philosophy. I'm professor of philosophy. Get out from here. So some mocked at him and he left. Secondly, some looked and said, no, what he say may be true. But, <laughs> let me defer it. Because if what he's saying that I should be born again, I should change my mind. And I'm staying with somebody's wife. She's sugar mommy. She's giving me school fees. And if I leave that sugar mommy, hey, where am I going to stay? If I leave that sugar daddy, who's going to pay my school fees? The reasons why you postpone doing good kicks in when you are thinking about that's what Paul was some some of the people were doing. They put off what they know they should do now till tomorrow because they are playing stomach direction. May that not be your story. Because nobody knows tomorrow. And if the God you are serving is a faithful God, it is because of him that you are doing the right thing, he will reward you. Hallelujah. So some mocked. Thirdly, well, he said, okay, fine. As for me, they will tell him, time is, time off, so finish talking. He said, I've finished talking. I have finished. If you say time is out, I'm gone. But the last one, some believed. Some truly believed. The governor believed. Other women believed. Other people believed. And they carried on the message over and over again. Because God says, when I send my word, it cannot go and come back without bearing fruit. May it bear fruit in your life. May it cause you to turn towards him. 
May cause you to know that he has a plan for the whole world, including you. And the greatest thing he wants you to know is to know him and love him and serve him. But also to declare that others can come to know him. And remember, he's the Lord of this world. He's coming back again soon. And when he comes, you he hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or would he say, you postponed it, you adjourned it, you did what? He is the resurrection and the life. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, we can come and thank God for one year of our beloved being gone. She's not lost. She lives in the Lord. Because the Lord lives, life can be lived boldly. And that is our joy. And that is our confidence. And that should be your story now and forevermore. Amen.